Thanks for joining us for this episode of Inside Ozadia. I'm Christian Young. My name is Mark Carroll. Today we have our guest, Steve Groff, who is the author of a recent book, The Future Proof Farm, Changing Mindsets in a Changing World. Steve is a 25-year-plus no-till vegetable and now hemp farmer from Pennsylvania that uh, he actually has his own brand of CBD oil at uh, cedarmeadow.farm. And you can also find him and his book at stevegroff.com. All right, welcome, Steve. Um, you know, this morning I was thinking about uh, this conversation we were having planned today, and uh, I was going through some photos, you know, uh, that you've sent me in the past, and I came up with this one of a little, you know, six-inch cannabis transplant uh, in roll cover crop. Mm -hmm. I shared that with you and Christian this morning, and I, I'd really love, like, I don't know if you, re you recall it, but if you love to like, describe a little bit about what is all going on there, you know? Yeah. First of all, Mark uh, and Christian, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, I love what you guys are doing and all. Uh, so basically it goes back to, I guess you'd say the way I farm. Mark, you've been to my farm, so you know you know what a little bit of what it's like. And pretty much uh, we plant cover crops in every single acre of land that I farm. And we also do no-till. We do not till the soil at all. And um, my fields have not been tilled for about 25 years now. So that's kind of the background, the basis. Um, the last um, 10 years or so, I've really been focusing on more diversity, diversity of cover crops, diversity of cash crops. So in referencing to the picture, um, that picture was a cover crop mix of hairy vets, triticale, and Austrian winter peas. There's a couple other things in there, but they were the main ones. And then we rolled it down. We rolled it with a cover crop crimper. And um, that particular plant was transplanted with a no-till vegetable transplanter that I developed back in the late 90s. Uh, we had planted tomatoes no-till, and I no longer plant them outside. I have all my tomatoes in high tunnels now. But so I had that technology available to me. And um, one update since that picture was taken is that I wanted to even um, move less soil. Now, when you see that picture, it looks very, well, there's no soil showing, uh, virtually none, but in not all conditions did it do that. Some of it more opened up the top of the soil a little bit, and um, so I wanted to kind of fix that. So many people are familiar with a water wheel type planter, where you know, there's these spikes like go down through plastic, um, and that's typically where a lot of transplants are planted these days. Uh, in the vegetable world and in uh, hemp as well. So uh, we got a, a, a water wheel planter and, and basically put two coulters uh, side by side, offset a little bit by two inches. Actually, the one is in front of the other uh, and they're kind of on a walking type beam, I'll call it, so they can flex a little bit. They're about two inches apart and they create this little, uh, I guess I hate to say this, a little tilled up area. Are they loose in the soil? Maybe that's a better way, way to describe it. Uh, and then we built these heavy-duty spikes that just simply poke a hole in the ground, and the water goes in, and we, we stick the plant in, similar to the way they do it in plastic, except we don't use plastic. So um, kind of a long answer there to the description of that picture, but and I uh, kind of update you to, to what we've been doing this year, uh, making a little progress on our efficiency and a little bit less soil disturbance uh, in, in our current mo model. 
Yeah, well, I mean, you kind of got right to the point uh, that I was thinking of, or when I when I see that when I see that image there at the end, is that it's essentially like uh, a really viable alternative to plastic mulch, which right. we've seen and we've done you know episodes about before. Um, and and so that also you'd say like the you know the additional functions, right? Like on top of just like a sure weed control, like you see, like mm -hmm. you said, there's no bare roots. Um, but what what would you say some of the other things that you've seen other than you know just sheer weed control, right? Yeah, so we have weed control, but also we're growing our own fertility. There's some legumes there, particularly hairy vetch and some bees in this case. There, I believe there's actually some clover in there too. <clears throat> I like to have five or six different species representative of my cover crops. So we're getting some of the um, the fertility, especially the nitrogen. And I know to a certain degree, because of being a healthier soil, we're unlocking some nutrients that may be there that were tied up before because the soil wasn't simply, it wasn't healthy. And that's one of the things that I'm learning is as we, um, uh, I like to say that cover crops and soil health principles, if you want to expand to that, make fertilizer more efficient. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, from a farmer's standpoint, that's really what we want. Um, and I also, too, would recognize that products that, is, like, that Ozadia has can really help bridge that gap. Uh, they're very friendly to the, uh, to the soil. But by and large, you, you got your, your ground is covered. And, you know, we talk about weed control, but ground, the, the ground being covered really is it's about just suppressing the weeds. They just don't give them a chance to germinate and grow. But the other thing, too, a lot of people don't even think about is we're given food for the earthworms and the earthworms represent you know, literally millions of critters um, in, in even a small handful of soil. If you get down to the bacteria and, 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 and then fungi and everything that's in there and we're helping to uh, essentially give them a good life because soil that heats up, it gets over, you know, 80, 90 degrees Fahrenheit it really shuts down the soil life. And so if we can, uh, actually, it's really kind of ironic that microbes' favorite temperature for most of them is like us as humans in the low 70s. That's what we like. Uh, that's what we're comfortable at. So if we can keep our soils from getting too hot over the summer, our microbes are going to do more for us. And conversely, we keep the soils from getting quite as cold in the, in the fall, and particularly, and our microbes can work for us a couple weeks longer. So yeah. that's another benefit of keeping the soil covered beyond just weed suppression and fertility for that matter. Yeah, additionally, you know, like you said, I've been, I've been out to your farm and I noticed, uh, I mean, you're not, your farm isn't a typical flatland farm, yeah. right? No, right. you're on the top of the hill there, right? So that's something else I noticed that you've been working this ground for, you know, I mean, you, you said, you know, over 25 years, um, but your fertility is staying up on the top of that hill, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes, indeed. And we used to have ditches that were so deep I couldn't cross them in the fall to harvest my crops. We had to close the ditches. And that's what really spurred me to check into no-till. Yeah. And that's really the only reason I did it. I did, I had, back in the 1980s when I first started, there, there, there wasn't any talk about soil health. We didn't even know what we, we didn't even know what we didn't know uh, at the time. But, you know, it, it was amazing what it turned into now. And on that note, I'll just say that um, I realize that in 10 years from now, there'll be things that will probably change on this farm just because we're learning. And it's not just me, it's collectively learning from those in this soil health or regenerative agriculture movement 
that is what's so exciting for me in, in agriculture for the future. Yeah, yeah, I'm, uh, I, I am as well. And I think that the, the soil health, cover crop, soil microbiology, you know, system, regenerative, organic, mm -hmm. um, all these mm -hmm. words, right, are, are definitely yeah. striving for, you know, like a, a truly sustainable future, right? And that's right. what we're, we're looking for, mm -hmm. all of us. Mm -hmm. Steve, I know you mentioned uh, you're growing tomatoes in high tunnels now. What considerations go into incorporating cover crop into a controlled environment like that? Yeah, uh, it's, it's kind of ironic you asked that today because uh, <clears throat> uh, I actually put up uh, seven new high tunnels. I'm not sure if you've even seen them yet, Mark. I uh, put up seven new high tunnels on top of my mature 25-year-old no-till fields uh, with the intention of never tilling those fields, never making raised beds, but just essentially planting right into that scenario. So this was year number one, a no-till system in a high tunnel situation. And um, one of the things about high tunnels is the benefit is you can, you can have the, uh, the, the tomatoes grow a month or two months longer in the fall because they're protected from they stay healthier, number one. Number two is they don't get the first couple frosts. We can stand down to about 28 degrees. So literally this year, I counted about eight or nine frosts that we survived and we were able to keep picking. Well, then that makes get really late to plant a cover crop. So uh, the reason I was saying the irony is just yesterday, right before our big snow came, um, I planted the whole high tunnel and cover crops because it, it took us a little time to get everything cleaned out. You know, we're busy in the fall, like all vegetable farmers are. And, you know, it just took us a lot of, you know, till we finally got everything cleaned out. Uh, we actually hung up hemp in uh, part of them too. So that kind of delayed me a little bit, but I planted cover crops in there yesterday. And then I just bought a small irrigation reel that we can uh, run the line down and we can we can irrigate those cover crops now. Now, so we planted the cover crops yesterday. Today we have seven inches of snow outside. Uh, the intention is, is we have a couple warm days. I'm going to irrigate that. Then we'll close the high tunnels down, make them like a winter greenhouse, and get the cover crop up and growing. And I think by the end of April next year, we'll have a really nice cover crop in there. Uh, we'll irrigate a couple times in the spring and then we'll just repeat the process over again like i'm doing in the fields so i want to mimic what i'm doing in the fields in the high tunnels uh, if you can follow that all through so year number one very successful um we're going to go year number two right back in right back in with tomatoes uh, i know there's a crop rotation um uh something i need to be thinking about but i still have other high tunnels that we could go back into later on so that's a little bit of the latest what I'm doing in that in that scenario. Very exciting. And are you having any intention of, um, you know, trying to cultivate hemp uh, in any of this controlled environment, or purely sticking to outdoor cultivation for that? No. Well, um, we are. And this year, I did two bays in my uh, my older high tunnels of uh, auto flower hemp. The appeal to auto flower is that we could plant, grow two crops because they're, they're, they're day length, they're not day length sensitive, they're just days. Uh, that's what triggers their flowering. Um, so most of them around 75 days. So we can literally plant a little earlier because we have the, the high tunnel effect, you know, they get, they stay warmer and start growing, you know, 
earlier, we can plant literally the end of April, harvest the end of June and put a second crop in. So we can grow two crops. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas what I found out in 2019, I planted um, only four plants in a high tunnel just to see what they would do. <laughs> they got like eight feet tall. And it was awesome until like the beginning of October when they all started falling over each other. Right. So if you're going to grow in a high tunnel, you got to, you know, support somehow, some way. And there's all different kinds of ways to do that. So for a photosensitive variety in a high tunnel, you, you got to really, uh, if you want to maximize that, you got to space them out and you got to hold it, keep the branches held up because they grow like crazy in there. So that's another appeal to autoflowers because they don't grow as big. And you don't want to, the only other thing in a high tunnel where it works, a scenario is maybe you have a short season crop in a high tunnel uh, that would be finished, like let's say in July, where you could plant a photo period type hemp variety. That would work great in a high tunnel. Or, or if you're willing and have the time and, and, and want to just support them with trellising and so forth, you could plant full season ones. And I know a lot of guys, that's the way, that's the way they've been doing it, but that just didn't, didn't really fit my style here with, with the way I manage things. Well, I think uh, I think that's that's great, and uh, maybe to sub it up, Steve. Like, uh, is there a specific um, technique, uh, cover crop situation? I mean, is it vetch? Is it triticale that yeah. you would suggest um, following hemp? Because you know, a lot of people are doing you know same ground year after year, mm. and I mean, fertility is going to become an issue, right? Yeah, I think the jury is still out. You know, can you can you plant? Uh, the same cover crop too many times because we know that diversity is good. Um, I don't see that. To, I mean, I'd rather you plant a cover crop, the same cover crop every year than none at all. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. I do like mixes. Um, I think there's synergistic effects. Uh, every year is different. Some years, certain varieties do better than others, or certain species, I should say. Um, so I always like to have uh, several different species represented, like several different legumes, maybe several different grasses. But, you know, you have to kind of, you have to match them up somewhat because if, if you get a uh, crimson clover, for instance, could be shaded out with uh, too high of a rate of triticale mm -hmm. and it just doesn't grow. Uh, it just gets shaded. So there's, a, there's an art and technique to these mixes. It's not just like grab a bunch of this and grab a bunch of that and plant it and you're gonna have all these magical results. There is some forethought needs to go into it. Uh, and, and now we got this kind of information that's available out there. So if anybody is considering doing cover crop mixes, do your homework. Uh, a, a local person that's, that's doing what you wanna do is what I always encourage farmers to check into. And if you don't have anybody in the local area, you can source get in the internet. Um, there's plenty of information there. Of course, you all know you got to watch out for stuff that might not be relevant for your geographical area. Um, but uh, my best advice for for people is to to connect with other farmers because most farmers are willing to share what's working on their uh, on their farm. And this is still a very much uh, work in progress. I see the whole cover crop movement, that whole aspect of of um, soil health movement is still very much in its infancy. Uh, the more I learn, the more I realize what I don't know. So, and I've been doing this for a while, uh, but that's what gets me excited, you know, about doing it because we don't have it all figured out, that's for sure.
So that's just a little bit of advice I would have for, for someone thinking about getting into this and trying it. Great, Steve. And in addition to, you know, the full farm vegetable production and everything else you have going on, uh, you know, what are some of the things that you've done recently and what, what else do you have on the forefront for people to keep a lookout for? Yeah, so the, the most, uh, two most recent things is I, I uh, published a book called The Future Proof Farm. And the subtitle is Changing Mindsets in a Changing World. And uh, that book, it's not a how-to manual to do cover crops, although cover crops are featured. Uh, and it's not, a, uh, it's not technical. It's a really easy read. I've been um, very intentional at trying to also reach out to the general public, the non-farmers as well. So I've got really good reviews from people who are not farming that, that they, they just were really uh, felt, uh, I guess you'd say it was a great opportunity to see into an, a, a farmer's life, number one. And number two, to see that we're actually trying to grow things that are more nutritious, more healthy, and, and essentially to respect the planet. Um, so. So that book, The Future Proof Farm, can be gotten on uh, stevegroff.com. Uh, stevegroff.com, you can order that. Uh, the other thing, too, that uh, we just launched is our own CBD oil brand. Uh, that's cedarmeadow.farm. Cedarmeadow.farm. So it's uh, the, 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 uh, the, the hemp, the CBD hemp that we grew. And we got our extraction, bottling, and all that stuff lined up. So we're just launching that uh, right now. And that's been exciting. Um, not easy, I will say. But uh, it's been exciting to, to get that launched. And, um, you know, I, I just love to, to be a part of a product that actually helps people. And it's been very gratifying. You know, we tested it here over the summer. And just to hear back some of the results. Uh, we had three individuals that had Lyme's disease that said that it was one of the best things that helped them, um, and migraine headaches, and you know some of the things I've been reading about. But you know, when it's your own hemp that we grew here, and you hear these these reports, it's like, wow, oh yeah, it doesn't get much better than that. You know, it really, really makes me um, you know feel good about about what I'm doing here. So. Um, so that's, uh, I guess you'd say, the latest thing we're doing. I'm going to be really focusing on this new CBD brand, and we'll be expanding it into a bunch of other products. But we're going to take it slow, and uh, we want to make our mistakes small, as they say, and take it from there. So that's that's what our 2021 plans is really to focus on our CBD hemp oil. Really appreciate you taking the time today to speak with us, Steve. Um, <laughs> we'll definitely keep an eye out for what you're getting into, and uh, always look forward to uh, hearing from you in the future. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.